Hello and welcome to the next episode of the It Depends podcast. I'm Daniel Pritchett. Hey, this is David Mahundro, uh, Mo. Uh, good to talk to y'all today. This is Brian Lankford, a software engineer here at Claire Function. All right. Today's topic is one that Brian came up with. We decided to talk about learning things, how to decide when something that you're aware of is worth digging into and at what point you decide you need to really learn a lot of it, or maybe it's safe to set this one aside for now. So, uh, Brian, you want to give us a bit about what brought you to this topic? Yeah, so, you know, being a developer for over 10 years now, new technology obviously comes out just about every day, right? And especially in the web world, um, front-end stuff, um, JavaScript frameworks are coming out every day, it seems like. Um, Sometimes I find it hard to decide whether I want to invest my time into something new or um, or just kind of uh, move on with other things that I've learned and um, and uh, maybe pick it up later. So I was really just just curious what you guys' experience were around picking and choosing what your what new things that are coming out, what's what's something that you tend to gravitate toward or uh, how you manage that and decisions around that and how you manage your time, even with uh, with a full-time job uh, along with it. So something I had a, a teacher in college actually shared this analogy uh, with us. This doesn't necessarily answer your question, but it was it's something that I've kept in mind for a long time is he said the software field is a lot like a river, a moving river, and the water is moving along quickly, and you're out in the middle of it. So if you stay still, the water will carry you backwards. For you to even stay current and relevant, you have to work. If you want to get ahead and move forward, you got to fight the water, which means you've got to work even harder. And uh, I've just sort of, you know, in general, to your point, it, there is a, seemingly a new JavaScript framework every day. And that's one very specific part of... Our job. There's also backend technologies. There's, you know, other uh, facets of like security, and it's, it it just feels like you'll you'll never learn anything. So Mo, I really like the river analogy. The way I've often thought about it is similar. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen's race. The idea is everybody has to keep running just to stay still. Right. But what I like better about the river that maps really well onto my philosophy career-wise is if you put in the effort to get far enough ahead, then you can lift up your paddles and, I don't know, say start fishing and really make something out of the, the, the distance you've gotten ahead. So maybe I put in several years getting really good at Ruby, and then I spend several more years building stuff with Ruby, making money doing Ruby, and not necessarily focusing half that much effort on learning the latest JavaScript. So eventually, yes, my boat is slowly going down the river, maybe getting caught by people who are still pushing up the river with the latest, greatest in JavaScript, but there's a certain number of years I can just capitalize on the investments I've already made before I'm completely hopelessly out of out of touch. Mm-hmm. And maybe from the perspective of a long career, if you think I've got 20 years experience in .NET and I'm, in, I'm retiring in 10 years, you may be done learning. You may be happy just sitting on that and providing your senior experience to a specific project or projects until you're ready to go. But if you know, say I'm 20, 30 years old and I've got this many decades I plan to keep doing this, it's too early to just stand pat and leverage what you've got and not pick up the newest stuff. Yeah, I wondered if, um, you know, when uh, the new thing comes out, uh, the next tomorrow, let's say, um, I think what I struggle with is, you know, how, 
how do I decide or how do you guys decide whether this is something I need to look into? Um, I think traditionally for myself, I tend to, when I hear about something new, tend to let it sort of um, marinate for a little while out out in the world and then see if it's something that's going to stick. Um, and then maybe embrace, you know, maybe embrace it and take some time off. I mean, um, we all in the room here have families and, you know, we, we got time we have to spend at home and stuff like that. So my time is very valuable. I know our time is very valuable. And so, you know, I think that's the struggle sometimes is knowing, do I, do I, do I need to take it, take time today to look into this? Or is this really just kind of something that, you know, may not really take shape um, very long. And so move on with my life and go to the next thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I will say that I'm definitely less aggressive about building up new knowledge and exploring things now than I was five or 10 years ago. And part of that is I have a kid who's, you know, takes up a lot of time and she's great. And, but I think it's equally that I'm more secure in the type of work I'm doing now than I was before. Like I'm able to do enough of the job at a high enough level that I don't feel quite the same insecurity or drive to get to a certain point. Like obviously there's always more for me to learn, but I am currently in more of a, a point where I feel like I got enough ahead where I can leverage it, like right. I said. And I don't, I'm still young enough that I expect to have to really dig in and push some things several more cycles before I can retire. So one of the things that I try to do, especially, so I've been asked this question before in more of a general way, like how do you just keep up with things or whatever? So early on in my career, I sort of picked a few people online that I respected their opinion mm. and I sort of just went and just listened to what they had to say or read up on what they had to say. Um, because there there's people out there who are maybe way far in that river than me. And so you can sort of follow them because they're sort of like, uh, if it's a river, just let's drag this river analogy a little bit farther. If there's rapids, maybe they've found where the water isn't quite as, tumultuous, you know? And so, um, you know, in the, in the Microsoft world, uh, Scott Hanselman, you know, in, uh, net world, I said the net world in the Ruby world, you know, uh, Yehuda cats, and he's now in the JavaScript world, but you know, w- w- there, there's certain people who you find it's like, I really respect their opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's someone, you know, that you've worked with before right. and you sort of lean on their experience but um, that's one of the first things I do. And then lead on that a little bit. Like, I realize, recognize that you're not by yourself in it. Right. Um, and even if you don't have coworkers that you can look at, you can still find people online and just, you know, once a week or something, go and see, what are they talking about? What are they doing? What's important to them? Um, it's, it's not necessarily an official mentor relationship, but you can sort of, you know, mentally think of it that way. So do you follow, typically follow like uh, someone's blog or something or Twitter account or how, how does that kind of get fleshed out for you day to day, I guess? Uh, probably yes and yes on both of those. I don't really read Twitter much. Um, I will glance at it every once in a while, but I do still read blogs. It seems like they've fallen out of favor a little bit, right. but instead, I, the the way that I actually feel about blogs now is that there since there's not as much people use 
Twitter for just throwing random thoughts out, whereas they used to throw them on blogs, it means that blogs aren't as noisy as they used to be. But you still, like, some of the things I also do is just find, like, a good uh, newsletter site or something. Uh, And that way, they'll sort of do the hard work of digging through. And so so there's a website called um, The Morning Brew. And so that one is more of Microsoft-focused. And they'll sort of go out and find links. So in case you have, my learning style is to sort of read. I don't read in depth. I sort of skim. But I just sort of get terms in my head, and if they start popping up more, exactly that ties into what Brian was asking before. Is I've yeah. had several people who I respect who tend to stay on top of things. They'll say things like, "Once I see a new term or brand or whatever three or four times over a month, exactly. that's when I think, okay, I'm going to take some time. Enough people that I respect to at least follow are all buzzing about this. I'm going to go look at it. Not necessarily that immediately commits you to mastering it, but." Right. Maybe now's where you take an extra half hour to drill in on it yourself. Like now, I at least know what I don't know the latest JavaScript framework is. Or yeah, it, it just I mean, like you know, th- there was a lot of buzz around uh, React mm-hmm. when it first came out. So obviously, you see a lot of people say something. So to your point, maybe let it sit there for a little bit. If there is a big explosion and buzz around it, and then a month later you don't hear anything about it, right? There might not be anything there. You could even go and there, there's been a lot of projects you can go and look at GitHub a month later and see, oh, the last commit was when there was buzz last time. Right. And so you sort of, but if there's still something there and there's still, it, it, it's it's hard to say because you sort of have to listen to and read a lot of, you know, high level things and just sort of skim. Right. But my approach really is like maybe on Hacker News, scan through, it's like, there's still a whole lot of stuff people talking about this. Yeah. You get a whole lot of an echo chamber effect there too. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You'd ask you me gotta a year fight that too. to pick a top three, four JavaScript frameworks for front end stuff. I would have thought, say, Backbone, Angular, Ember, and React. And for a while, I was definitely leaning towards Ember because Yehuda Katz was working on it a lot, and it seemed like it was the most uh, aligned with the Rails philosophy that I was already comfortable with, but. I played with uh, Ember a bit, and it really does try to be a all-in-one single-page app, and I've never had a project that really was one of those, whereas React is really components, and I guess Angular is too, but I'm sure, like, for me, right now, today, I'd say React would be the one I'm most interested in of those four I mentioned. I'm sure there are people who are maybe more involved with Google or more involved with Microsoft who would totally be into Angular to the exclusion of the rest. Like, I, I can't really tell you how the buzz that I'm bringing in maps to real-world adoption. Like, if you told me that one of these was 10 times bigger than the other in terms of install base, I would believe you, no matter which one you said. One other thing I would say is just recognizing, too, that there is an element of buzz to it. Like Daniel said, you know, a year ago or two years ago, Angular would have been at the top of everyone's list. You could even look at conference tracks, you know, during that time. And, you know, we just uh, were at a conference at DevSpace, I don't think there was an Angular talk there. There wasn't a React talk there, I'm pretty sure. I think there there may not have even been then. There was Electron. Um, I don't know if that's involved at all, but that was the closest I could think of to fancy JavaScript. Yeah, so it's sort of just recognizing that this is where having sort of a good basis, like, for example, just not, not in terms of technology or even JavaScript, but like a good object-oriented programming uh, understanding, maybe a, 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 at least a good understanding of 
some basics in functional programming. Right. Um, just so that you can sort of see how patterns are repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's one of the really fun things about getting older and more experienced is maybe new hot tool comes out in JavaScript and you can say, oh, I knew how to do that 10 years ago in C Sharp when it was a different name. So that you can be fairly confident if it's really just bringing a pattern you already know to a ecosystem that didn't have it that a you don't have to dig in too deeply and b if you ever are on a project that needs it you can get up to speed overnight because you know the fundamentals don't ever feel like you're oh man i've got to learn this right you know if if you sort of have that higher like you you can spot the patterns i mean you know Mm. i know picking up rails when you can line those things up with you know your experience with asp.net mvc or if you're in another MVC web framework, it's like, okay. So similarities there that you can see. Yeah, and and then you don't necessarily have to feel like, you know, when when I was earlier in my career, um, I used to pride myself on how how much of the .NET framework API I -hmm. knew, like how much of this can I write without IntelliSense? (laughs) And now I'm like, I don't need to know that. That's not going to help me because, you know, some of the things you're going to know from repetition, but the other parts... It's more important to sort of understand the higher level, you know, the, spot the patterns, I guess. That was, I won't, I will say that's not a bad thing to do, especially when you're newer to application programming. Like, personally, I've read most of the documentation for the Python standard library when I was just learning web programming, and it helped to open my eyes to a lot of things that were out there that were commonly done that were just a library call away that I would have had to reinvent the wheel otherwise. If you have a strong grasp of one, fairly modern object-oriented language and its standard library, you're going to start thinking, oh, I'm not going to want to write this by hand. Like, let's say you learn Python tomorrow and you've never used it. You're gonna, if you find yourself needing to write something that is a method call in C-sharp, you're probably going to spend 10, 15 minutes Googling to see, do people in Python land really do this by hand? Because I really can't believe that's a thing. So you guys uh, said uh, you, you sort of check uh, various blogs or Twitter accounts or um, blog, I'm sorry, um, Hacker News and things like that. Do y'all typically have a particular part of the day that you try to sort of look into those things and then move on (laughs) with work? Or is it sort of like maybe once a week sort of check in, that sort of thing? I'm just kind of curious how you guys... I think we're kind of shading into personality type territory Mm -hmm. here. I mean, I compulsively do this daily multiple times daily there's definitely days where i feel like man i checked tackle news for the 20th time what am i doing with my life i've got real work to do (laughs) but it does come in handy and but then on the same token we have small enough project teams and mo and i have such an overlap in interest that we rarely have a project that needs both me and mo to know a little bit about a lot of things right so true i can just like lately mo's been doing most of our that type of exploration for a lot of our clients. And I've been doing more hands-on one client at a time work. So I have the same interests in a lot of cases, but it's not necessarily needed right away. Gotcha. I do sort of, I mean, my pattern, I, yeah, we talked about when we were preparing for the, this, um, the similarity in terms of learning styles and things like that. But I do my first thing in the morning, it's all, I almost treat it a little bit like uh, inbox zero. It's like, um, and some of the ways that you sort of tackle your email. I, I use a feed reader for it, so I don't actually usually browse to Hacker News. I'm reading through a feed. I did, this is just a quick side tip. Uh, there can be a lot of noise on sites like Hacker News. 
where there's submissions. So I'm actually using another feed in front of it that filters them on points so that I can sort of get a threshold. If there's only 10 points on this thing, it's oh. probably not worth my time. So it's on the front page, but it hasn't actually gotten much traction? That's right. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it has to be on the front page and break a threshold. And like, people right. Actually so you care could about sort this. of say... It's a popularity thing. Is that what basically, you're saying? Basically, yeah. so, you know, it, it's on upvotes mm-hmm. on there. Right. There's always going to be 30 stories on the front page, for instance, on Hacker News. And some of them will be up there with just two votes. And the, the algorithm is kind of complex if... If something was posted and immediately upvoted two times, it might rocket to the front page. And then if nobody touched it for 10 minutes, it drops off again. Mm, so this okay. way, Mo doesn't have to see that story until right. it actually stays on the front page long enough to, to prove attention to more people. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, again, to the sort of inbox zero analogy, it's, you know, I used to sort of keep things in my feed reader that they might be a week, two, three weeks old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Okay, right. I just need to say, you know what? I'm never going to read this. Right. You, but you can also, you know, I know I know some people who use like Read Later uh. sorts of things, um, Pocket. Um, there's a few others, uh, Instapaper. Yeah. You know, where you sort of throw them off to a reading queue. Those yeah. work well for longer form posts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, <laughs> I sort of have like the 20 tabs open. Right. Um, but it, it's just not. You, you, at some point, you have to realize there is too much out there to learn. Yes, sure. So right. don't ever... And I admit that I have felt like, oh, no, I'm going to get behind, but just not really worrying about that. It, it goes sure. a little bit back to the our discussion on imposter syndrome. It's just everyone... No one is keeping up with everything. Right, so, exactly. Right. So do, you, do you guys, uh, you know, when you see something that kind of interests you... Um, you feel like you need to spend some time on. Do you just kind of write that down and sort of follow up later to sort of, you know, I'm make sure you remember to think about it? it. I tend to be fairly instinctive. Like I could probably name a top five of technologies I wish I knew more about right now, and I will occasionally just find myself working on one at an inappropriate moment, whether it's two a.m. or during my lunch break or whatever. And you're up at two a.m. Wow. Okay. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if I find myself researching something that is probably never going to be important for me at work at 2 a.m., then that's what I'm saying, inappropriate moment. I'm not <laughs> often there, but <laughs> yeah, right. I can't sleep. It just happens. Um, but what Mo just mentioned earlier about his speed reader getting overloaded, I definitely am a big fan of declaring bankruptcy. Like, I'll get 20 tabs open, and I realize, oh, mm-hmm. I don't have time right. to read all this. I've just read three long-form articles, and I've got work to do, so kill them all. I'll do the same thing with, say, chat clients, like in Slack. I like to keep up with every note and every channel, but if I'm a day out of sync, I realize that, Within those thousand things, there's not really going to be anything I, that I'm going to regret having missed, most likely. So I just let it go. But as far as writing stuff down and being systematic, I have tried that before. I had a a daily learning like challenge for myself. I was going to spend 15 or 30 minutes a day doing something, just time box, personal development. And I tried to be really simple about it. So my task on day one was to build a list, like not to learn something in those 15 minutes, but in those 15 minutes, come up with a list of things to start on tomorrow. And I liked it, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard Jerry Seinfeld's advice about not breaking the chain, but that's what I tried to do. Like, 15 minutes every day without fail, whether or not they're good minutes or bad minutes, just being consistent. And that's what I try to do health-wise, too, like as far as eating and fitness. I have not done that in a while. I will say personally that 
my ability to focus on that tends to have an inverse relationship with how engaged I am at work. Mm -hmm. If I'm on a great project for whatever reason, whether it's a great team or great technology or just really promising, then my desire to detour into learning and sharpening tools goes way down. Right, right. That makes sense. I think I I, I agree with you there. Um, I think that to some degree that for, for me personally is when I'm on a project that I'm having fun with, I'm also learning while I'm doing it. Yes. And so I'm, I don't feel the need to, you know, catch up and read and like the, the jo- I had a job one time where I was, uh, you know, just, it was, it was line of business stuff, which some people might enjoy, but at the time I just wasn't being challenged by it. It was mostly building reports for, and it was, I wasn't even able to re- reuse code in cases. It's right. like, it was monotonous for me. And so I was able to get the the work done within the time constraints of the day and still also have some time to learn things. And I wasn't behind on deadlines. Right. Um, that That's when I actually learned Ruby for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, same here. I learned Python and Vim and several other things. Yeah, v- Working in well. a big company job where I had a little bit of slack time. I didn't negotiate with anybody. I just did it under the sort of rather ask forgiveness and permission principle. Right. (laughs) In in this case, I did talk to my boss about it and just, you know, from his perspective, I was doing well and any sort of learning that I had was going to make me more valuable, both for myself and my own career, but also to them in in the company. And if you have a relationship with a, you know, your, your boss or manager, whoever, I think it's valuable to do that. Even better, though, if you can build a culture of learning at your workplace where yes. it's almost understood anyway. I think that's key to our offering here at Clear Function is we position ourselves as experts, and there's a certain level of uh, research and experimentation expected there in order for us to approach a client already having seen things that they've only heard about and tested things and formed uh, well-reasoned and experienced opinions on stuff. We've got to be out there doing that sort of thing. And sometimes that might be an internal experiment that doesn't have any real goals, but just as often, or maybe more often in my case, if you have a very straightforward project, I will try to throw in one or two, just a small handful of things to keep pushing the envelope. Like maybe I could do this in my sleep just by reusing proven techniques, but I'm going to find one thing to push the push the envelope on. And honestly... That's something that's taken me years to develop the discipline to do. When I was younger, I'd want to do all new everything. And then I just wound up bogged down. I need to, I learn better if I'm only learning one or two things at a time. So I could be learning a new language and a new database and a new text editor and five other tools all at once. But realistically, most of my tools have to be things I already know how to use, and I can exp- I can make a reasoned decision to experiment with one that I think will pay off mm-hmm. at a time. I'm kind of more like that myself. I think uh, I tend to do better when I'm focused more on maybe one or two things, but mm-hmm. you're starting to get, in, for me, if I get to about three or four things new, mm-hmm. it gets a little overwhelming, um, and, uh, you know, just uh, kind of pacing myself seems to help a lot. Right. You know, sometimes, right. sometimes saying no to something... Um, means that you're really saying yes to something else, right? Oh, yeah. You're um, concentrating mm-hmm. your time on effort and for sure. things Just that you feel are important. So. Talking to you, figuring out how to talk to yourself about those decisions and to other people. Like, 
I like to refer to this in terms of the scientific method. To me, it sounds like if you've got the discipline to do one or two new things at a time, that you're isolating your variables so you know for a fact this thing was harder or easier or faster or slower than usual. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've got 10 new things, all you really know is I tried a bunch of stuff and it didn't work out well. You can't really, other than just pure exposure to the things you tried and failed with, you can't really make any decisions or you can't really understand. So in my um, experience, my learning style is significantly different than others. Some people learn through audio, auditory. Some are visual. Some are a mixture. Some are Mm hands-on. So when you're talking about that and applying it to uh, the programming profession, hands-on would be like actually coding it up. Others are going to be reading. Maybe you need to get a book and really deep dig deep in something. Sometimes you need to watch a video and actually watch someone. So just some examples of things like that. You know, we've talked about a lot of reading things like maybe short form reading is blog posts. There's technical books out there where you can learn a lot. I have found that for me, I can't really read unless the book is really good. Then I sort of glaze over for too much if it's too long. Mm-hmm. But right. I learn really well with audio visual. So like an example is uh, PG Casts. It's a Postgres uh, series. They're weekly or every other week or something like that. And it's someone talking about Postgres for three minutes. And they're showing you their screen. So they're typing something in. I don't think there's been a single one of those where I have seen something that I wasn't wasn't familiar with already. And so I feel like my knowledge of Postgres has increased dramatically. If you're sort of a community learner, you need to talk it out with people, though. There are, uh, look look up some of your local user groups. Uh, in Memphis, we've got a uh, really good uh, community in Memtech, and there's uh, specific technology user groups as well. Uh, find like a cheap conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- maybe, you know, start an open space at one of them where you can actually sit down and talk to some people in a conversation about something. Th- there's just a lot of ways, but... The reason I wanted to mention that is if you learn in a different way than I do, for example, mm-hmm. my advice isn't going to be as effective because you're going to, you, I, you shouldn't necessarily fit your learning to my learning style. So, you know, spend some time with self-reflection to sort of understand how do you best, you know, and most effectively learn. Right. Um, so one thing you mentioned about learning styles that's reminded me of oh, the way I tend to work is, it's tempting to just read all the time, for me anyway, but if I don't pick something to focus on after having read the whole tutorial or the whole book or three books or all the articles, if I don't sit down and actually work on it hands-on, build mm-hmm. a test project, get it up and running, make sure I can compile it, make sure I can deploy it, I'm not going to remember all that stuff I read. I mean, I've read, I don't know how many tutorials for Angular or Ember or React, and I don't know if I've deployed any of them. I've deployed right, some right. Backbone once, and I remember that better than the others, even though I didn't really like it as much, just because mm-hmm. I did more, I put more hours in. So, I don't know, I guess like a pilot has to log hours to stay, or to get qualified. I, I feel I, the same way. That reminds me, something, if you're so disciplined, you know, th- there are other professions that require, you know, a certain number of continuing ed hours. Mm-hmm. So maybe just... You know, make a goal for yourself, especially if you maybe you're feeling like in a slump or something. Determine, you know, maybe put some hands on. I'm going to do over the next year 100 hours of this, which, you know, there's 365 uh, 
days in a year. You're not even talking about an hour a day. You're talking about, you know, maybe a weekend, spend a couple hours, and if, if we're talking about React, pull the code down and push something out to Heroku. You know, just that way you sort of have to fight through some of the things that, you know, debug it. You have to get your hands dirty a little bit. Um, that has been useful for me before. I haven't ever actually picked like some time, but, you know, pick something where you can actually discipline yourself to do it perhaps. In terms of goal setting, I get really demoralized when I miss a goal. So it helps me to start with really, really easy goals, like say 15 minutes a week. And then once I prove to myself, I can do that for six weeks, then bump it up to 30 or 45 or whatever. But if I set a goal for I don't know, four hours a month and then miss it in the first month, then yeah. that's probably it. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't actually do any of those things, but it's, you know, just some ideas. Like, yeah. Um, but from, for me, it's almost more of a habit now. Right. I, early in my career, I read from some people, here's how they sort of learned. It got me to thinking about how I learned. Yeah. And I sort of made that sort of a habit. And now I just, it just yeah, happens. Habits are maybe more useful to set your goals based on work habits than actual output sometimes. If you're just talking about lifetime learning, for instance, fitness-wise, I used to say I want to be able to bench press this much or squat this much as quickly as possible. But 10 years later, I'm telling myself I want to be able to work out at least three days a week, every week for six months straight. And I know that if I can just set that level of discipline and not get bored or burn out and stop after four months, that after six months or a year or two years... I will achieve something that is probably better than the original goal that I missed because I didn't have a plan so much as just wanting to be there. What advice would you give uh, developers out there that maybe work for companies where maybe this isn't quite embraced yet and right. they want to kind of see that happen where they're working? Because, you know, they're working full-time jobs and yeah. when do they have time to kind of do those things? Um, I don't know, what advice would y'all give? I'd say be honest with yourself about the type of job you want to have, the type of company you want to work for, and maybe do some visualization or daydreaming. Think about where do I want to be in five years, ten years? What does that look like? Who do you know? Who can you find that already is there? And then maybe find their resume or portfolio and work your way back from there. Like, so how did this person, let's say, I don't know, you want to speak at a .NET conference or you want to be a .NET architect. Find one you know. See what the last ten years of their career looks like. And then compare that. So 10 years ago, were they where you are now? If so, then you have a pretty clear template. Like, try to do what they did. But if they maybe were already ahead of you in some dimension you overlooked, maybe you need to reshape your goal or find a different uh, example. So that's really it for me. One, one thing that I hadn't thought about until you just said that is some ways to maybe sort of help change the culture mm -hmm. is... Uh, See if you can get a group of people involved in sort of, uh, we'll say, a, we have lunch and learns here. Right. Uh, maybe see if you can get management to sort of pick up the tab for, for like a lunch. For or a whatever. lunch. Right. Start quarterly. Start easy. If you can't do that, then see, can we just have a half hour a month and we'll bring our own lunch? But it's just, the, most employers are going to want to encourage learning they want they're going to want to it's one of those things that for a half hour we've just increased the morale for the team and just just sort of you, you might have to talk to someone you trust but 
start uh, small like that. Uh, one of the places I worked, we had a we we didn't have lunch provided, but we had we started with about five people, and it was really informal. But let's just talk about technology stuff, right? And it was communicated to management as a way for some of the more experienced members to share their experience with those who were younger who didn't have the same level. And it grew up to 30 plus 30 to 40 people at this company. Mm. So then they had to split and to have two different groups. Uh, another place we were able to get management to pay for lunch. And so I think we had every three weeks there, uh, we have a sort of informal schedule here where we'll, you know, have a lunch and learn. Sometimes the topic's not even technical, but you're building a culture of learning, not necessarily of trying to stay on top of everything. Right. Those That's are great. Those sound like success stories, I will say, to definitely give that a try, but also evaluate your results every so often. I've had some times when I was younger where I wound up leading that sort of thing, but I could never really get anyone else interested. Hmm. And certainly my leadership skills were not then what they are now. But also, if you find that you're the only one hosting the Lunch and Learn and nobody else is really there other than to humor you to get the free food that might be a clue that there's a better job out there for you somewhere else. Like, I'm very happy. We have frequent lunch and learns here at Clear Function, and people show up and ask intelligent questions, and they volunteer to give new lunch and learns. Speaking of which, I'm probably overdue for giving another one. But if you realize that people are humoring you and you don't feel like anyone else is ever going to even be close to your level of interest in this, you might need to look for a different peer group. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, getting involved in your technical community. uh, Oh, yeah. You know, that may be something you could do. Uh, there, there's a group in Memphis here. I don't know if they still do it, but I had uh, tech lunches. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can get other people outside of your, uh, you know, your company, workplace your to do right. things like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's been part of the cycle in my career too. Is like I mentioned earlier, I do a lot more of this learning when I'm not super engaged. I will say in past jobs, I've done a lot more attending tech lunches and networking with people and learning new things because I was not getting that stimulation at the office. Like right now, I'm still having such a great time talking with these folks here at Clear Function that I'm not making the, I'm not going out of the lunches the way I used to because I don't, I'm not missing that in my my diet of socialization or information. Right. You mentioned uh, something about just the the cost. Oh yeah. Uh, so go ahead. For sure. Um, definitely try to make the case like Mo did earlier to get work involved in wanting to invest in their people and in their teams because it's good for them. But even if you personally are on a team where you just don't feel like you can get the investment in terms of time off or actual financial contribution, don't sleep on the idea of paying for this stuff yourself, especially if you don't see yourself being at this one job for 20 years. Think of it as an investment in your career and in yourself and your family. There, There's a lot to be said for making targeted investments. And again, you're going to want to be deliberate about it. Say, okay, I'm going to make the time to go to this many conferences, spend this much time away from the house, this much money so that I can build up my career in the way I want it to go. The, um, you know, so, so that's where some of the regional conferences and things like that, maybe a tech camp or code camp or something mm-hmm. start small, just sort of find out where you're, uh, w- what's comfortable for you. Uh, you know, especially if you're starting fresh, maybe it's uh, getting a Pluralsight subscription instead. Maybe you don't like the the people, but you like the the conference stuff. But there are lots of ver- ways to sort of get in there where you can 
do more than just reading blogs, you know, maybe buy a book, uh, one or two books a year, just, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Last note I had was, uh, something I picked up from Chad Fowler, who's actually keynoting at Tech Camp Memphis in a couple of weeks. Chad had a great book called The Passionate Programmer, maybe five, 10 years ago. And it's about, as a developer, learning how to be thoughtful and deliberate about your career, what you're enjoying, where you want to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, assessing what you know, assessing what you need to learn more of. And he had this great section on an information or technology portfolio, and he framed it in terms of financial investing. So you have a a mixed portfolio of high-risk, high-reward investments and low-risk low medium reward investments. So for instance, as a developer, if you're here in Memphis and you want to get a job that pays the bills first and foremost, you're probably going to be really well served all things considered learning say .net or java and learning a lot about them because there are more jobs in .net or in java than pretty much anything else. I guess PHP or javascript comes in third there. So knowing that you spent, I don't know, half to two-thirds of your time Getting really good at Java, really good at uh, .NET means you're going to be able to find a big job with good benefits and stable employment for decades here. That being said, that also has a limited upside. So if you take the remaining half to third of your time and make more a series of calculated bets, say maybe you reach a little bit farther, look farther to find things that are less popular, less of a sure thing, and invest in those. So you do your analysis every time the latest JavaScript framework comes out. If I want to invest in this one to learn about it, start blogging about it, whatever, build things with it, suddenly you could be, let's say, the only person in Memphis who knows anything about Meteor. And you could be freelancing and charging a lot of money to do a very niche market, but still a valuable one. And if Meteor takes off, then you can sort of ride that wave in a way that your coworkers who are still doing just the .NET or just the Java stuff we're not going to be able to follow along. So that's something that it's always resonated with me. I can't say I've really got that many uh, high upside bets going right now, but definitely think about your knowledge planning, like how much of your time you decide to spend on learning what in those terms. Like you got to have some stable bets that are certainly going to be good for you. Like, you know, you're working .NET and Rails right now. You're never going to regret putting in a couple of hours extra learning more about one of those things. You'll just be better at what you're already doing, and that's good for you. But if you want to grow into something else, like I know you're really into bootstrap, if you want to be like the king of Memphis bootstrap and bill out 500 bucks an hour to come do half-day bootstrap projects, then maybe that's something you could double down on, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe bootstrap itself is too old to be at that level. Like It might already be close to its peak in terms of popularity, mm-hmm. but there could be another similar thing right around the corner, and you can use your your self-knowledge about what appealed to me about Bootstrap as a .NET programmer and where am I going to be in five or ten years with the next Bootstrap so I can be that that guy. Something just you know, sort of wrap up there. You said in the learning, if you find that you're at a point where you've, you know, you're not really seeing a whole lot of new things in something, so maybe it's time to just spend some time looking somewhere else. If because once you're not seeing new things out there in a technology, it's not going to hurt you in the least to sort of see another technology out there. Right. Just get some fresh eyes. Even if you never use it in your day job, 
there is still a lot. People are solving problems in so many different ways out there using technologies. And there's just, there's a lot that you can take to your day job from other technologies where you can learn. So just keep paddling. I think we're about out of time now. Uh, Brian, just to put you on the spot, do you have anything in particular you want to add? No, uh, this is great. I, I, uh, it's really nice just to kind of hear uh, you guys' thoughts on, uh, and I, I think this is very helpful for myself, but also hopefully for many developers out there that have these same questions. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I kind of want to check out that book, uh, Daniel, you mentioned, and uh, definitely I felt like some of the advice Mo gave about uh uh, you know, looking at various stuff and toward morning of the day in the, mm-hmm. in the mornings and stuff like that. It's good. So, uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. All right. We'll talk to y'all later. You've been listening to it depends a podcast by clear function. Clear function is a group of happy engineers based in Memphis, Tennessee, We partner with visionaries to bring their ideas to life. For more information, check out our website at clearfunction.com.